Good morning. I'm Sandy Max, and in the studio with me is Brian Noonan from WTMJ Nights, filling in for Steve Scafidi on yes. WTMJ yes. Now. And we have been, of course, discussing the late-night news of the Georgia indictment of former President Donald Trump. And uh, to help us understand the arraignment, uh, the indictment, excuse me, even more uh, from CBS News is legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum. Good morning, Thane. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Thane. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we were talking earlier. Can you explain the difference um, between federal RICO statutes and the state RICO statutes in Georgia? Because um, there there are subtle differences. I thought it was all one big uh, one big deal, the same thing. They really shouldn't make much of a difference here. Remember, the purpose of RICO is to take disparate acts from separate people who might have no connection with each other. They don't talk to each other. They're never in the same room. They never had an actual meeting or an agreement to, con- to engage in an illegal act. But each of them did separately something illegal towards a common goal. What's the common goal in his, this case? To overturn the Georgia election results. So that's how RICO. RICO comes, literally emanates from The Godfather Part Two, Because The Godfather Part Two, if you remember, uh, the idea is that the henchman says, I don't know the guy in charge. Right. And so Rico gets you around that. It's like saying, it doesn't matter if you know the guy in charge. You did this. He was doing this. You guys, for Rico purposes, you did the same thing. So in this case, never been applied before, something that deals with organized crime. The question is, was there a criminal enterprise? She keeps the district attorney keeps using those words. Very, very loaded words. Criminal enterprise. Why? He's saying this was a large group of people, 19 people. They did 160 bad things. They may not know each other, but there are 41 counts to this, and they're all essentially connected for having committed election fraud. And Thane, even if this, the result of this is a conviction, it would not prevent Trump from being elected president, correct? Not in America. <laughs> The founding fathers didn't have a problem with people having felonies or being in jail. Uh, Eugene V. Debs, in the early part of the 20th century, I think ran for president three times and got lots of votes from prison. Uh, The difference here is that if Donald Trump in the federal uh, case in Florida and Washington, D.C., was elected, he could, of course, pardon himself if the cases haven't proceeded. He could call the uh, attorney general's office, the Justice Department, and say, drop it. He can't do that here. These are state law crimes. Uh, I do think, however, that if the, if the trial and the conviction don't take place before the election, if he's elected and he's even in the middle of the trial, he probably could make the argument, I'll call you in four years. I got a job to do now. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm running the country. I'll call you in four. Maybe I'll call you in eight. Eight years, we'll, we'll, we'll try to do this again. But right now, I'm busy. That, I think he, he might make the argument. If they can try him and convict him, they could conceivably have to redecorate the prison cell and make it look like the Oval Office because he could serve in jail. A lot of people are making, and, and for, for those of us who are not lawyers, are, people are making an issue out of how fast some of these trials are being pushed to take place. Is there a usual amount of time or an average amount of time, or is this, you know, moving moving quickly? Is that just part of the system? So, you know, our founding fathers created this concept of speedy trials. Why? 
because King George III used to throw people in jail and we never came out, right? Mm-hmm. And, that, or, and, they, and the trials were scheduled for infinite, okay? So speedy trials, usually when we hear about it, it's the defendant who wants it. It's not the government. What's right. interesting about these cases is it's the government. The government is saying, now you could claim, well, it's political. The government wants this guy not to run for president. They want to make it impossible for him to run. They want to tie him up in all of these courtrooms. They want to convict him of something and make it impossible for him to govern or even to campaign. So, again, what's usual in the case is the defendant. In this case, the defendant is saying, you know, for the love of God, I'm running for president. Let's just discuss this when the election is over. It shouldn't be before then. You've got to give me a chance under the, my constitutional rights to speak to the public, right? I have a First yeah. Amendment right to campaign and to actually speak to them. You're tying me up, and now you've got, you know, orders of protection where you don't want me to even talk about it. How am I supposed to campaign if I can't talk about it? Can you explain a little bit of that order of protection? Because, you know, people love to scream about First Amendment, and this is the government limiting limiting a person's speech. How how do we make that? How is that right, I guess, is the, is the question. So the judge last week essentially said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I understand. You have a First Amendment right to speak. I get it. She started off with that. So did the indictment, by the way. Everyone likes to start off with, oh, no, 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 I know you. <laughs> no, 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 I know you have a First Amendment right to speak. But there's the but. So her, in this case, the judge said, but you don't have the right to speak if you're intimidating witnesses or if you're scaring them away so they don't want to be involved. Uh, if you're sharing sensitive documents that should only be shared with the jury and not with the general public. So if you have something to say that doesn't involve that, say it. So, you know, order protection is not a gag order. She's not saying keep your mouth shut, but in a way she is, to some degree, the judge, because the, the, the case itself is about him campaigning, right? Now, maybe right. he wasn't allowed to campaign, the you know, in the aftermath of the election. He just wouldn't stop saying that the election was stolen. He has the right to say that, right? He, he has the right to... Stacey Abrams, sure. uh, in, you know, Hillary Clinton, you have the right. There, it is not unlawful to f- reject the election results. And that's what's interesting about these cases. You can reject the results. The question is, are you engaged in contact that, conduct that are unlawful? But you don't have to swear a pledge that you would accept the later than ever ever has to accept elections. It's clear that Donald Trump did not accept the election results. So what, even when they say, yes, but everyone told you that you lost, if I was his lawyer, I would say, who cares what they told me? My client never believed that. Right. He always believed that he won. And you've got to prove willful intent. And I don't know how you're going to do that, because just because his daughter said he lost, he had lawyers that told him that he could still win this. Can we go back for for one minute, Thane, to what you were saying about this order of protection and the language that would deem be deemed threatening to witnesses? Who is the arbiter of that? Is that just on the judge, or is there is there precedent to go, okay, this language reaches that level? It would be the judge's call, I think. I'm sure the district attorney, the prosecuting attorney, special counsel, would bring it to the judge's attention, saying, you know, he's just tweeted or X'd or whatever, social media uh, names of people that are on the witness list, and these people are now telling us they're afraid to participate in the trial. So, you know, again, she used the word sensitive materials, but she didn't define what those are. Right. <laughs> right? She, just used the, she just said, if there are sensitive materials, 
or if you're if you're now I think it was a message in some ways to to Mike Pence because Mike Pence is clearly going to be a witness, right? And right. you know the whole argument has been you haven't stopped threatening Mike Pence since people were running around saying let's hang Mike Pence since you said he's not courageous enough to do what's necessary. So I'm sure that they would be much more strict about things said about Mike Pence, although he's former vice president of the United States, he's running for president. I don't think he would be threatened in the same way that election workers would be threatened. Thane Rosenbaum, CBS News legal analyst. I have one more question for you because we're getting some uh, texts on the old National Bank talking text line of there's a lot of accusations that these indictments are coming to stop former President Trump from running for office. But it doesn't seem like any of these indictments <laughs> are stopping him. And they're actually, we've used the word emboldened uh, several times today, mm-hmm. but also fundraising. How are these indictments stopping him and preventing him from pursuing the presidency? So, Sandy, you know me a long time. I'm often wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm often wrong. If you would have said, when I was probably on your show months ago when the New York case had been filed, I was one of the ones, and again, I was wrong. I said, well, they're not going to bring the other cases because it would be ridiculous. How many can you bring? They're going to have to let the New York case go first because it would look terrible if every single one of the jurisdictions thought that they could each try him in criminal court. There's even a civil case that's coming up in the fall in New York by the New York Attorney General's office. And I would thought it would be absurd. You know, the Trump base wouldn't tolerate it. Even some impartial Americans would think it doesn't look right. Um, so, look, I, I think the optics, optics are terrible. I, I, I'm surprised that this has worked this way. It shows you how profoundly hated Donald Trump is by a segment of the American public and by certainly by Democrats and the Democratic you know, political machine. That doesn't mean that these are not legitimate cases. I think that most of the cases are weak on the law. I've always thought that. Some are stronger than others. But to me, the evidence shows Donald Trump is not a nice person or a good person. He's possibly a grossly negligent person. But I'm not so sure how many of these things are actual crimes. But again, I'm often wrong. Uh, But (laughs) again, I don't know. It, It does seem that these things are energizing him and his base and he's fundraising off of it. And it won't stop him from what I said before. The founding fathers never said you can't run for office if you're under criminal indictment. Never said it. And, and, it, and certainly in the federal cases, there's always the risk that if he wins, he can pardon himself. Fane Rosenbaum, CBS News legal analyst. Thank you for your insights. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks, Fane. Thank you. Thank you. That's very, very interesting stuff. A lot. Yes, you mentioned texts, uh, you know, again, a lot of people. What about these people? What about these people? We're talking about one particular thing that is happening. Uh, if somebody else is, if somebody else should be investigated and indicted, do it, do it. Investigate, investigate them all. Indict whoever meets that meets that level. Right now, we're talking about the indictment that came down last night against Donald Trump and eighteen other people in Georgia. And we will continue to follow this story on WTMJ.